0: Father, we come before you this morning and we come recognizing you are great. And before your greatness, we then come, we pray, not with a God that we have fashioned with our own hands, but with the God who has revealed himself through Your Word, and we come before You recognizing that it is You who are God. And as we come this morning, may we come in light of who You truly are. And not letting, perhaps even ways that we look at You and we may even Look, even as we look and are amazed, and then we look as well, and then we perhaps even tremble before who you are. But with both, we come and we agree, and we say, this is who you are. We will not fashion you in whatever way we deem, because you are who you are. And so, as we come this morning, may we come ready to believe all that your word has said and says. We are not lords over you. You are Lord over us and over all. And so, help us, Father. Come now, in and through Christ. And may your spirit speak, and may we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, we come now then to part two of God's answer to Habakkuk. I don't know if you're like me, but this is most certainly and has been a weighty journey through this book. I mean, this is this is not something that I have imposed upon these sermons. This is the very tone of the book of Habakkuk. It is a heavy book. In other words, when I read Habakkuk, I don't imagine people you know, running gleefully through fields as I read this book. And maybe you do, but if you do, I don't know how you do. We don't read it that way because there's a good reason for that. Habakkuk is a man in turmoil. He is wrestling with huge questions. Even as he's leaning into God, he's trusting God as he's seeking Him and seeking His answer. He's not leaning away from God. He's not pushing God away. He's leaning into Him seeking his face lord help me understand is his disposition trusting god in the midst of confusion so his first complaint and question was o oh lord how long shall you put up with the wickedness of judah and then god he answered in chapter 1 wonder And be astounded, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, to bring my judgment down upon them. But, this raised even more questions for Habakkuk. He comes again and he says, Eternal God, how can you use such an evil, wicked nation like Babylon to judge us? So in part one of God's answer here, God, he essentially answered Habakkuk and he said, trust me, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Now, this morning then, with this second part to God's answer to Habakkuk's second question, he will address directly what will come for the wicked empire of Babylon. And even now, as we come to part two of his answer, he calls us, he calls his children to look and to live by faith in him. And so if you would, then turn with me in your Bibles to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 6, and we'll be reading to verse 20. May God help us come. May He help us be still and know that He is God. He will be exalted among the nations. Chapter 2, verse 6. God answers Habakkuk. Shall not all these take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him and say, Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own, for how long and loads himself with pledges. Will not your debtors suddenly arise and those awake who will make you tremble? Then you will be spoiled for them, because you have plundered many nations. All the remnant of the people shall plunder you for the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house, to set his nest on high, to be safe from the reach of harm. You have devised shame for your house. By cutting off many peoples, you have forfeited your life. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the woodwork respond. Woe to him who builds a town with blood and founds a city on iniquity. Behold, it is not from the Lord of hosts that peoples labor merely for fire and nations weary themselves for nothing. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Woe to him who makes his neighbors drink. You pour out your wrath and make them drunk in order to gaze at their nakedness. You will have your fill of shame instead of glory. Drink yourself and show your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter shame will come upon your glory. The violence done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, as will the destruction of the beasts that terrify them. For the blood of man and violence to the earth, to cities and all who dwell in them. What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it? A metal image, a teacher of lies. For its maker trusts In his own creation, when he makes speechless idols. Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, to a silent stone, arise. Can this teach? Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath at all in it. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Amen. And so, the Babylonians they have gone about gathering for themselves nations and collecting them as their trophies. They go about in arrogance, boasting at their mighty destructive feats. But now, God will merely blow on this mighty nation and its end in judgment is certain. No hand can nor will be able to turn that back. And here then, we see with no doubt the wicked will not go unpunished. Babylon will not get away with their evil stompings through the land. As they have crushed many peoples, now they will be trodden under the feet of the nations. And so in this opening verse... In verse 6, which are the nations in many ways, even as it is God saying this. So verse 5 ended. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples, referring to Babylon. And now the nations answer, shall not all these, the nations, take up their taunt against him with scoffing and riddles for him? And so it says here that the nations, they will taunt, they will scoff, and they will speak riddles against Babylon's fall. So Babylon's fall would be so complete that the nations would mock, they would deride, and they would speak words of woe at Babylon's fall, utterly humiliating them as they lie in the dust. And Babylon will be able to, to do, unable to do anything or say anything in response. So, their judgment will be great. I mean, consider how humiliating this would have been. Well, imagine, you know, if such a judgment were to come upon us, upon America, after all of its history. The good and the bad. The Mayflower Compact. The Revolutionary War. The Declaration of Independence. The evils of slavery and racism. The evils of abortion. And after all of that, America comes to an end. And then, we're all And while we're all there left reeling from all this in the midst of America's fall, the nations, China, Russia, North Korea, they look on and they mock us. And there is no recourse. America is gone. Well, this is what happened to Babylon. Judah would fall around 586 B.C. to Babylon, but Babylon would fall in 539, 538 B.C. So they stood high and lofty, proud and arrogant in their wickedness, and God answers, the wicked will not go unpunished. God is in control, raising up and bringing down as He does and as He has always done throughout all of history. And we're not above that either. And Babylon is held accountable for the evil they've done. Amidst it all, we see and we acknowledge God is just. And as the Lord over all, He has the right to judge. He has sole rights over everything that he has made. And his judgments, they are never mixed with evil intent, they are never misguided. He never misses a single detail of a case. He sees wickedness for what it is from all angles, and his judgments come only and ever with this verdict, God's judgment is right. That's always the case. Regardless of how many questions arise from us, it is always right. On the one hand, <clears throat> this brings us great angst. I mean, we even see that here, right? With Habakkuk, the person Habakkuk. He's asking What's going on here? Why will you judge us and not Babylon? You know, and if if we're honest, it brings us angst because when we see God's judgment, because God's wrath can be shocking, even terrifying. Hebrews says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And that that verse is not lying to us. It means what it says. And the shock of God's judgment is not because God is wrong. So hear that. It's not because it's wrong, but because we actually are accustomed to mercy, our days are in mercy. R.C. Sproul, he was a theologian, pastor, professor. He told a story about one time how he was teaching one of his classes in in the Old Testament. And he, of course, you know, as if you've you've been to school, you've been to college, you know right up front, generally, the professor will set out all the expectations for the class, the due dates, here is when the papers are due and et cetera. Well, he did all that and the class agreed. All right, we will do it. However, when their first paper came due, you know, a number of them came to sprawl because they didn't have it, their paper finished. And so what did they do? They asked for leniency. They asked for grace. Well, you know, Sproul, he was very kind. He kindly gave them more time, but he reminded them, here are the expectations for the class, and here are the due dates for the next two papers. Well, next paper comes due. (laughs) What do you think happens? Now even more students come with late papers. But again, Sproul, he's lenient with them. You know, they say, hey, you know, we had this and that going on, and and so uh, he lets them turn in their papers late, And as you can imagine as well, they, they are just so delighted by this, they exclaim, "Oh, Spro! you are the kindest professor uh, here! you know? Uh, you, you are so kind and so, uh, such the best professor on campus, you know?" And, and so on. And so the last paper comes due, and the, this time, nearly half the class come with late papers. And so he asks them where their papers are. And they say, oh, don't worry. You're a good professor. You know, we'll get him to you when we can. So they had taken for granted mercy. <laughs> so Sproul, he pulls out his black grade book and he begins calling the students' names one by one. Johnson, where's your papers? Oh, I don't have it. F. Smith, where's your papers? I don't have I don't have it. F. And one by one, he calls their names, and then the students in shock and dismay. What are you? This is not fair. What are you doing? This is, and they all cry out. This is not fair. What you're doing? And so Sproul he. He hears them and nods and he says, Okay, well, you think I'm, I'm being unfair? All right. Well, the students, of course, they agree and they nod. And so Sproul, he goes back to uh, the students again and he says, All right, Johnson, do you think I'm not being fair? And the student nods, Yeah. And he asks him, Didn't you turn your paper in late last time? And he nods and, and Sproul, he erases the student's B, and he puts an F there. And now, the students are shocked into silence. And he looks out at them, and he asks them, is there anyone else here who wants justice? That's just the way it is, isn't it? I mean, this shock that we have when we experience justice, it's not because God is not right. It's because we've taken for granted the finality and the reality of justice in the midst of many, many mercies. We've taken for granted God's mercies. Friends, His Judgments are always right. God is not infinitely evil. He is infinitely good. His judgment is fearful because we're not righteous. And that is a reason worth trembling. It is a reason worth directing us towards the Gospel and not away from the Gospel. It's only with trembling at God's just and right judgment of us that we then rightly see the glory and the light and the ray of abundant hope of the Gospel. There, the bountiful, lavish, incredible grace of God is set forth Christ came into the world to save sinners and you don't deserve it. The gospel, incredibly, is God's justice, God's righteousness, and God's mercy all mixed into one. And may we not take that for granted. And if you are here and you don't know Christ this morning, he calls you, don't take it for granted. Instead, tremble at His judgment and run to His mercy in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. This day, you may not be looking forward to judgment no longer in His wrath, but you be looking forward to the God who is your God, your Savior, your treasure, and your portion forever. And that's my hope for you if you are here and you do not know Christ. So, Babylon then is to fall. And it will be a great fall. Justice will roll down. In the same way, know one day God's justice will roll down as well. It will come. What we see here of Babylon is paradigmatic of what will be. The evils and atrocities of today and of the past, they will be made right. The books, they will be opened and all will give an account before their maker. Every person in this room and every person in our state, our nation, and the world will have to give an account before the living God. The cry for justice across the spans of time will have their answer and with a finality that will never be turned back again. How much then should this comfort his children in the midst of our broken world and then How much should this also move our hearts to urgently go and tell people about Jesus Christ? To share this good news that there is a very real and very final judgment, no purgatory, that is coming, and you will be facing it outside of faith in Jesus Christ. May we be urgent to share this news. It is that urgent. And so, Habakkuk has his answer. God will bring judgment upon Babylon. And what follows here now, following verse 6, so that was just verse 6 in light of the rest, What we see now is woe after woe, judgment after judgment. So five woes in total, each calling down here judgment upon Babylon for their wicked acts. This prideful and self-adulating nation will be humbled and humiliated. But as we look at each of these woes here, We find, interestingly, that at the very base of their wickedness, that the bedrock of their wickedness is false worship. So five woes here with the fifth in verses 18 through 20 being what? Idolatry. It is here positioned in such a way that it is meant to inform all the other woes that came before it. Like a column, it forms the base of everything else. So false worship, idolatry is the reason why all these other evils of Babylon were being committed. And so Babylon, they took their idols and they would carefully craft them, forming and shaping them into the image of their choosing. And then what they made with their own blood, sweat, in tears, they would do what? They would fall down before it and they would worship what they had made with their own hands. These lifeless, breathless, speechless idols would be their trust, would be their gods. There's a story told of a Japanese warlord named Hideyoshi who ruled over Japan near the end of the 16th century. He ordered that a colossal statue of Buddha be built for a shrine in Kayota. And so 50,000 men, they labored and labored and labored over this statue for five years. Then in 1596, what would happen? But a tremendous earthquake would come and rock the land, and the roof of the shrine came down upon this statue, and all the work was for naught. And so, in rage, Had Yoshi comes and he pulls out an arrow and he shoots it at this fallen statue, and he shouts, I put you here at great expense, and you can't even look after your own temple. Well, could it be that though we may not physically bow down to them, we have made functional idols like that, bowing to them in our hearts. And we wonder and despair over why they don't answer us back. We wonder at why they don't satisfy our hearts why we are still struggling with despair and hearts that are not satisfied. And we wonder why the fruit of our lives is so mangled and distorted. Like the Babylonians, perhaps we are simply displaying the fruits of false worship. With false worship at the base, what fruits do we see here then? Well, woe one, the first woe, the fruit of extortion. Woe to him who heaps up what is not his own. Woe two, greed and pride. Woe to him who gets evil gain for his house to set his nest on high. Which here, the Babylonians, they were essentially trying to make their city uh, impossible to be beaten making it an impenetrable force. It was said that they had walls around Babylon so thick that you could ride a four-horse chariot upon it. They were trusting in their walls. Are you trusting in yours? Woe three, Babylon, or bloodshed, was the third woe. Woe to him who builds a town with blood. Woe for drunkenness and violence. Woe to him who makes his neighbor drink. And so the Babylonians, they would drink and they would lead their captives into drunkenness, even using it to do all kinds of lewd and untold actions against them. And all these and more were the fruit of false worship. False worship distorts everything else that it's built upon. It mangles and it harms. It may seem innocent, but it is deadly. It strangles the life of our marriages and our relationships. It demands that others serve us. This is my house. This is my kingdom. This is my church. And you will not have any word in changing that. And so, it challenges us. It demands, false worship demands that others serve us. It harms the body and it harms others. It blinds us from hearing or seeing the truth. Its inclinations are always more, more, more because they can never satisfy. Empty idols. And this is a call then for us to examine our hearts. Now it may not be that you have formed and shaped a small physical idol at your house that you have on your mantle or wherever you may put it, but consider that perhaps you have instead spent much time shaping and forming your idol in your heart. Your knees regularly give it tribute. Your schedule makes sure that it always has its allotted time. Your heart praises and adores it and your hands and your feet are swift to protect it and guard it from anyone who tries to take it away or get in the way of your idol. And so instead then, God, He is calling us to bow low before your God. To bow low before Him. It is before Him our hearts are to bow and worship. In the midst of these woes here, in the midst of all these verses, verse 14 and verse 20, they come and they call us to worship the Lord of all. Verse 14, the earth is will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In the midst of the evils of Babylon and their false worship, God is saying that He will be worshipped. He will bring His recompense and He will be glorified and His rightful glory will be known throughout all the earth. God is God. And He is a God of justice. And He is worthy of all honor, praise, and adoration. It is in knowing Him, and Him being known, that is to be our delight. Amen. Lifeless idols, they are silent before their makers. But all are to be still and know that God is God. Unlike the deaf and dead idols, what does it say? What is God doing? The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. In other words, He is the God who is there. Unlike false idols, false religions and cults, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is there. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He is there now. So may we look no farther than Him. Spur on hearts that are satisfied and worship Christ. We are told Oh, look to entertainment. There is your joy. Oh, look to fame. Once you have that success, you have that notoriety, once you have that name, then you'll have that joy. Oh, once you have a family, once you have children, once you have a house, then your heart will finally be satisfied. Oh, once you get, fill in the blank, and on it goes. Instead of that, though, bowing our hearts to lifeless idols, God, He is there declaring, I make known to you the path of life. In my presence is fullness of joy. At my right hand are pleasures forevermore. So, brothers and sisters, consider your own heart what is there at the bottom of it all what is satisfying your soul who is your treasure may we bow low before our God and worship the God who is there And may your restless heart find rest in him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and we come recognizing that this prayer I'm praying and we are all praying together. We are praying to you, the God who is there. We are not worshiping in vain. We are not seeking after lifeless, dead, breathless idols. We are coming before the Lord and the God who is there. And may we, each of us, examine our hearts and ask, are you above all in us, in our hearts? Are you the one who is above all in all we do, say, and are pursuing so help us Lord help anyone here who may not know Christ this morning that they would no longer seek to hold on to their idol and false worship but they would cast it away crushing it under their feet and running to the Savior to the God who is there May you even now, Lord, do your work in them. We pray, Father, for anyone else here who needs to respond in obedience to your word. May you help them respond, not to me or to us, but to you. May that be something they know right now in their own heart and lives they need to do some idol they need to cast away. Perhaps they need to respond in obedience in way of membership or baptism. Whatever it be, we, we ask that you would help us, Father, and bless our response to you, we pray. Glorify your name as it will be glorified in all the earth. In Jesus' name.